Matthew 24. How you doing out there? Looking at some of the things Jesus said to his disciples. We've been preaching our way through Matthew 24. We looked at a bunch of kingdom parables. Um, we're looking at kingdom principles. Jesus is giving signs of his coming. They, they ask him, what are going to be the signs of your coming? And he, he gives a bunch and he's listing them off. And we, we filtered through quite a few of them. Tonight we're in Matthew 24. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14. Just two verses tonight. Uh, powerful verses. They're all powerful, aren't they? You know that there's no filler in the Bible? Ever read a book and it's 10 chapters, but there's only two chapters worth of reading? Anyone? And the rest was filler. So the word has no filler in it, but verse 13 and 14 of chapter 24 is our target tonight. I'm going to start in verse 10 in just a minute, but let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for this place where we can come and worship you. We thank you for the musicians who led us into your presence tonight. And Father, we've given you a sacrifice of praise. And I pray that that has uh, prepared our hearts with good ground to receive the engrafted word tonight. So Father, allow the truth of Scripture and the principles you've hidden there for those who seek you beyond the superficial, allow those to come alive to us. And Holy Spirit, drive them deep into the good soil of our hearts tonight. Change us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let me start in verse 10 here of chapter 24, a little recap. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Listen to verse 13. But the one who endures to the end, say endures. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus giving signs of his coming, the end of the age, his return. He's uh, kind of bringing some of that in for a landing here. He's about to shift gears as we get through these verses. But let's unpack verse 13 and 14 because there's a lot in there. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, how many will be honest enough, when you hear the word endurance, you, you already start to sweat? Do you notice the older you get, your physical endurance diminishes? I remember in gym, they used to test us. They used to have these tests for endurance. And, you know, they'd make you do push-ups or sit-ups or pull-ups. And, you know, when you're a kid, all that stuff is just, you know, you're just blowing off steam and, and you're having fun. But the older you get, you realize, wow, you know, in fact, some of you look like you're about to pass out already. <laughs> but our endurance is just, it, it diminishes. And here, Jesus says something. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, if we already feel our, our weakness and our limited capacity as our endurance fades, and then Jesus says it's linked to our salvation, that that'll get your attention pretty quick. But let me tell you what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying that, you know what, you really got to do the, these works and you got to do, do all these spiritual gymnastics and you got to be uh, spiritually fit or you're just not going to make it. You're going to lose your salvation. Jesus is not saying that. Salvation is a free gift. Say free. We don't have to earn it. We don't get it by our grit. It's not a work of our endurance. But he is making a point here. 
you know, that he who endures to the end shall be saved. Our salvation's a gift, but we're going to need endurance to run this race, amen? Do you realize you're in a race? Paul gives all these illustrations, fight the good fight of faith. Did, did you realize you're in a fight? You know, if you're in a fight and you don't know it, you, you're probably going to lose. If you wake up in round three and you're, you know, or you don't wake up at all. But he uses these illustrations, fight the good fight of faith, run the race, you know, all of these things. Why? Because there's a part for us to play in us, you know, living this life and serving the purpose of God and, and, and running our race and fighting our fight until we fall breathless into the arms of Jesus at the end, hopefully hearing well done. So he's talking about endurance here, and he's talking about it as it relates to our spiritual walk. Now, to follow Christ in this world that is churning full speed in every direction uh, that takes it away from God, that requires endurance. How many know to live in this world the way it is right now, it takes endurance for the believer to keep the faith? Amen. Come on, give me some amens tonight. And, and I mean, everything tugs at us. Everything pulls at us. There's sin. So, I mean, the, the way the enemy packages sin, so seductive, so slick, so alluring, that it takes endurance just to keep ourselves away from these seducing things. It takes endurance for us to run to the secret place every day and to get with Jesus and to get on our knees and to pray and, and to read the word and to, and to listen for his voice. This world is spinning out of control, but God's kingdom is in complete control. And while the world runs in every different direction, wasting its time and its energy, the believer must learn to endure. Now, that word for endurance or endure there is the Greek word hapameno, hapameno. And when you see the definition of this, it, it kind of expands you know, the application for us. Hapameno means to stay under, to remain, to bear, to have fortitude, to abide patiently. You getting that? Had nothing to do with earning salvation, nothing to do with works, nothing to do with our spiritual pedigree or performance. Hapameno means to stay under, to remain, to bear. So I'm, I'm enduring, I'm bearing, I'm having fortitude, I'm abiding patiently. That's, that's, you know, that, that's a really powerful part of the definition of that Greek word that we should hone in on. Why? Because it's about us abiding in the vine, amen? You and I are connected to Jesus. We're connected to him through, through that vine that we're grafted in. We were crazy Gentiles, the wild olive branches, remember? Anybody wild before you got saved? Anybody still wild? We're all boring now? Come on. I mean, we were these wild olive branches. We got grafted in to the, to the, to the vine so we can take in this, the, the sweetness of the olive oil that flows through. And that root is through the Jewish people into Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Jews, the Bible says. Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't Episcopalian or Catholic or Methodist. He's a Jewish rabbi. Man, that fell flat. I remember when I was in Catholic school, the nun told me Jesus was Catholic. He converted on the cross. I remember she told me that. I was like, ah. Oh. Never forgot that. So, you know, here's this idea of endurance and abiding. So we're abiding in Jesus. We're connected to him. And, you know, 
expanding our understanding there, abiding patiently, bearing under, remaining. It's our connection to him, our commitment to him, our, our connectedness to him that we need to cultivate every day. Christians will exercise every part of the definition I just gave you, uh, you know, remaining, bearing, having fortitude, abiding patiently. Christians in the last day will have to execute every part of that definition to stay connected. You know, there's many that are going to fall away. We're going to talk about some of these things. Uh, you know, it's interesting how my Sunday messages in Philippians and, and what I'm doing here in Matthew are starting to run some parallel themes. Really interesting how the Holy Spirit does that. Um, trust me, it wasn't me. I'm not smart enough to put that together. But, you know, you see these themes here. You know, um, endurance is something we need to look about. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Sadly, you know, we've all seen those who've come into the church who did not endure. Stop and think about the people who have come and, you know, they, they, they were in the church for a while and somehow, some way they just tapped out and quit and left and they went back into the world. Can we all think of somebody like that? That stings and that hurts and, you know, people come and uh, they, they don't endure and they experience Jesus. They get really excited initially sometimes, you know, they're excited and enthusiastic only to walk away from him and to walk away from the church and the body of believers and go right back to what they were delivered from you say well why does this happen we're talking about endurance so why does it happen that some endure we're all here tonight are any of you amazed at some of the ones of us who have stayed sometimes you look at yourself and like wow look what god has done with me Amen. He didn't have much to work with. He's really showing off with me. But why do some endure and some don't? Well, you know, why do people come and then they leave? Well, there's three possible reasons, and we're going to look at them. And number one is this. They were never genuinely converted in the first place. You know, it's possible to sit in church, say amen in the right spots, carry a Bible, say you're a Christian, name a denomination, and not be converted. This is, you know, as a preacher, as a Christian, this is not only scary to me, it's sad to me that there, there, there are churches filled with people who have not made a genuine commitment to Christ and, and they, they're not converted. Do you know it's possible to be religious and lost? That's the worst possible situation to be in, to be religious and lost. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the legalistic lawyers and the scribes and all of these, you know, the, the power uh, elite of the Jewish structure there. The, the Messiah appeared right before their eyes and they couldn't see him. And they were religious and lost. And so the reason that some come and they don't stay and they don't endure and as quickly as they come in, they, you know, they, they, they leave. You know, it's kind of like they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. That's what evangelists are supposed to do, but that's not what Christians are supposed to do. So there was never a genuine conversion. The Bible does not teach that we need to become religious, that we need to uh, embrace spirituality, that we need to join a denomination. It says we must be born again. Okay, and I, I know, you know, that, that born-again Christian label is something that, you know, used to be when I, was, when I was saved in the 80s, you know, coming up in there. If you were born again, that was like calling somebody a, a weirdo. 
Are you one of them born agains? But the Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. And so being born again is what constitutes genuine conversion. Uh, you know, being born again means that you are saved, that you're translated from one kingdom to the next. There's so many implications there. Uh, John 12, 39, John quotes Isaiah and gives a vivid description of what the unconverted look like. You say, well, what do the converted look like? Look around you. Here's what the unconverted looked like, according to uh, Isaiah here. He says, for this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they will not see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and be converted. And that word converted means turned around, about face. And so I will not heal them. So God took stubborn people, stiff-necked people, religious people, people who wanted spirituality but didn't want a relationship with him, and he hardened their hearts, and he blinded their eyes. And he gave them over to, you know, their spirituality that rejected him. And that's what the unconverted look like. And they're not just the wild, reckless, agnostic, atheist, heathen, you know, people that we get this caricature in our mind. They're, you know, they're people sitting in church pews. Hmm. So why do they come and they go so quickly? Because they're unconverted. Genuine conversion requires an about face, a turnaround, a complete change of course in the opposite direction. Amen. And if you've experienced that, you know what conversion is. Amen. If you were going in one direction and you were preoccupied with one thing and you were in bondage to all these things and, and you know, all of a sudden God turns you around and now you're going in the opposite direction. See, you got to be careful. Some people turn around so much they turn all the way. And then this looks familiar. Or they turn around and then they walk backwards and they look at that for too long. And then and all of a sudden they start going back to it. So this conversion, this turnaround is going in the complete opposite direction. It's not seeing how close we could live to the world and still be saved. It's seeing how close we could stay to Jesus and be separate from the world. Genuine conversion requires an about face. If you've ever seen them march in the military about face, you know it. They, they stop, they spin, they go in the opposite direction. And that's what conversion is. Listen to John 3, 3 and John 3, 7, and then we'll move on from this point. Jesus responded to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 7, do not be amazed that I say you must be born again. So they blow in, they blow up, they blow out, and they leave. And you say, why? Was there no endurance? Because there was no genuine conversion. Number two, the second possibility is this. They never rooted themselves in Christ. You see, there is a process of when we come and we confess Christ and we, you know, we, we, we reach for salvation and God extends that free gift to us, there, there is a, a, a translation of us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But what keeps us in the kingdom of light is that we, we lay our roots down there. That's why it's so dangerous to lead someone to Christ and then just abandon them. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't abandon them, but the church can't just abandon them either. We can't give an altar call and pray for somebody and accept Jesus and give them a pamphlet and a packet and a pat on the back and a kick in the butt and say, good luck. Welcome to Wednesday night. 
we, we've, that, that's like a spiritual abortion. You don't birth a baby and then just tuck it somewhere and leave. You got to tend to that thing, amen? And when, you know, this process of that tending and it's part of the Holy Spirit's job, it's part of the church's job, but it's also a, a decision of that person's will that they're going to lay their roots down in Jesus, and you know it, when you see a person, they get rooted into Christ. They get rooted into the word. They get rooted into the church. Man, no matter what the enemy does, he can't pluck them out. So why is it that some don't endure? Well, they've never rooted themselves in Christ. The proof of conversion is that the person follows after Jesus and the things of the kingdom become more important to them than the things of the world. And they develop these roots that go deep into God. Listen to Colossians 2, 6 through 7. If you're taking notes tonight, and I encourage you to write it down, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It gives us a clear understanding of the rooting process. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Look at that. What a beautiful description there Paul gives us. What? We're in Christ now. Walk in him. Why? Because as we walk, we're churning up that ground and we're tilling it up and we're putting roots in. It says having firmly been rooted now, built up in him. Do you get that? When we root ourselves into Jesus, when we're connected to the word, when we're connected to the the church and the kingdom, that root system begins to nourish us. This is important. It's possible to come and it's possible to make a profession, but never lay roots down. And that's dangerous. And we've got we've to be as mature believers. We've got to look around and see young Christians, and, and we've got we've to help them. We've got to nurture them. We've got we we to see when their commitment is shallow, when their walk is, you know, it, it's, it's shallow. It's, there's no depth to it. When they're not in the word, when they're not committed to the things that, you know, are going to keep them. Catch this tonight. You might think, well, I got this. I'm rooted, man. I, I, I hear you. I feel that. I'm rooted. There's nothing anybody could do or say or, or nothing that could be done that could convince me that there's anything other than serving Jesus Christ in this life. Amen. But some people are not quite there. And we've got to help them. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, they're not firmly rooted. They're not established in their faith, as Paul says, and they haven't allowed them to be instructed by the word and the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, somehow, some way, uh, there's not enough root there, and they go back into the world. Walking in him allows the roots to develop. So stay close to Jesus. You know, st- stay filled with the spirit. Stay in the word. Um, our de- the decision of our will and our obedience to walk with him and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us is what will root us. Number three, the third reason why some people don't endure, this is the last one, they don't endure because they never were willing to endure. Do you know, sometimes, did you ever sign up for something or get involved in something and really didn't know what you were getting into? Come on, you know, it's like one of those things on TV, it's an infomercial, you know, you get one free this and you get one, uh, one trial bottle and then the next thing you know, they're, they're charging your credit card twice a month, come on, it's not just me, come on. You know, and like, I mean, I didn't sign up for this. What? 
you know, what am I doing here? Like, what, what is this? And like, you get involved in something or it's like, hey, would you just come to this little group? Next thing you know, they put you in charge of it. You're, and and you, didn't, you didn't wanna do that. This happens to me all the time. Hey, come visit our group here. Hey, you're president now. You're gonna, here, here's the gavel. You, I don't wanna do this. And, and you kind of get sucked into something that you didn't know what it was. And, you know, now, obviously, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, um, you know, we didn't get tricked or suckered or sucked into it. You know, we were drawn into it. We were wooed by the Holy Spirit. But some people do get in, and it looks good, and it looks fun, and it looks exciting. But when they count the cost, they're like, wait a minute. I never signed up for this. And they never really planned on enduring. And so when the trial comes or the suffering comes, or, well, we'll take a look at Matthew 13. It says it better than I could. Matthew 13, 20 through 21, talking about the seed sown in the rocky places. This is a perfect example of someone who got, you know, excited, came into the kingdom, but had no willingness to endure. It said, the one sown with the seed in the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. See, there it is, that enthusiasm, whoopee. Then it says in 21, yet he has no firm root in himself. You see that? It's that rooting process that needed to take place, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't yield to it. He has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. Some people blow in, they blow up, and they blow out because they didn't sign up for it, and they don't want to endure. And so they don't endure. But endurance is necessary for us to stay in Christ, amen? It's not that we earn our salvation through our endurance, but our endurance proves that we are the elect, that we are his children, that we are committed and rooted in him, and that come hell or high water, we're going to hold on to Jesus no matter what. So what does the Bible say about endurance since we're on the topic tonight? It says, it says so many things. As I studied this, I pulled up all the scriptures that I could find on endurance, and I just grabbed a handful, but here's a few things that the Bible says about endurance. Number one, the Bible tells us endurance is a choice. Listen to Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. Wow. Moses had it going on. Moses had everything Egypt had to offer. Egypt was the epicenter of the civilized world. They were leading in every field, science, medicine, cosmetic. I mean, you, you name it. They were the things the Egyptians were doing. And here's Moses as a prince of Egypt. And he had all of that afforded to him. It's like whatever big last name, you know, would get you somewheres in this country, Rockefeller, I don't know, Trump, whatever name, you know, like when you got the world by the tail type of thing. Poor people, we can't even relate to this stuff. You're not feeling me. It's like prosperity is keeping the lights and the gas on at the same month. That's, you know. But, you know, here he had all this stuff, yet what? He chews, he rejects that. And he says, don't call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I, I instead choose to endure the mistreatment and the affliction of the Jewish people that I now identify with. Wow. 
Endurance is a choice. Moses chose to endure. He chose to cast aside all the temporary pleasures of sin and everything that the world had to offer so that he could endure ill treatment with the people of God. Think about Moses. Think about him down the road. Think about him 20, 30, 40 years later in the desert with all these people. We want water. We want meat. We don't want any more meat. We, don't want, we want this. We want that. And he's thinking, ah, oh, somebody call me the son of... Pharaoh's daughter now. Nobody chose to endure, and he endured to the end, and he finished his course. So endurance is a choice. We can choose to say, I'm in this no matter what, or we can choose to walk away and do our own thing. God still loves us. God's still for us, and the Holy Spirit will still pursue us. But we have choices to make in this spiritual walk, and endurance is a choice. Number two, what does the Bible tell us about endurance? It tells us endurance is directly related to how we love. How's your, how's your love tonight? I didn't say how's your love life. I said how's your love? How do we love? Are we loving? Do we genuinely love? Are we full of love? Does love spill out of us? So endurance is linked to that. Now listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, through right up to verse 8 here it says, Love keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things. Listen, endures all things. Did you hear that? Love never fails. Well, we like that love never fails part, but you got to read the fine print. <laughs> And the fine print is love what? It endures all things. Uh, if we are loving people, if we love God, we'll endure whatever it takes to pursue God. If we love our spouse, we'll deal with any circumstances in life to love our spouse, to love our children. We'll endure anything for those we love. If our love is correct. Now, it says here that Love never fails, but it never fails because it endures all things. So if we have a lack of endurance, we really need to examine our love. Why would I quit on Jesus? Why would I quit on my calling? Why would I walk away from the purpose of God? Because I love the world more than I love that, or I love myself more than I love that, or I love any other person or thing more than I love this is why idols are so dangerous. Because anything that becomes an idol has the propensity to become something that we love more than God. And we've got to be really careful. Why? Because our endurance is connected to our love. If you don't love something, you will not endure what it takes to obtain it. I see, you know, I've been involved in the martial arts for so many years it's coming up on 10 years I've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm getting, I'm getting close to a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is something that, nah, don't, don't clap, but it's something that the endurance that it takes to get that, the hours and hours of training and bleeding and black eyes and bruises, that the percentage of people that make it to black belt is lower than the amount of people that make it through SEAL training. It's like 002% or some nonsense like that. Why? Because most people quit when they get their blue belt and they say, that's, that's good, I'm tapping out, I'm done. 
but to endure to the end. You say, well, wh- why do those people go through all that? Why the years of abuse and your, I mean, if you see what you gotta go through sometimes, maybe the blue belts are smart, but you know, these, there's this small percentage that make it to the end. Why? Because they love it. And if you don't love something, whatever it is, if you don't love an instrument, you're never going to master it. If you don't love, you know, and, and I say all that to say this, if we don't love God like that, we're not going to have the endurance to put up with what it takes to obtain the prize, to run the race, to fight the fight, to take the bumps and the bruises and the cuts and, and the sprains, you know, in my gym bag, I have, a, I have a brace for every part of the body. Elbows, wrists, knees. You can ask my wife, you know, where did you get all those? I've worn them at one time or another. You and I have to love God so much. God, help us expand our love. Let our love be true, Lord. Let us love you more than anything, and don't let anything become idols to us. So, Father, we can endure, and we can we can endure to the end. Endurance, it's related to our love. Uh, number three, what does the Bible tell us about endurance? It tells us that everything we endure has an end. This is very important. If, we, if you have to endure something that you don't know there's an end to it, you're much more likely to quit than to hang in there. In fact, they did a test with these people. They hung them out. They actually had to grab onto like a, a, a pipe, and they hung them out over like the water. And, you know, some of them they told that, you know, it's only going to be X amount of time. And some of them told, well, it, you know, it's, there's no time limit. And some had an end in sight, and some had no end in sight. Do you know the ones who had, had no end in sight, they let go the quickest. And the ones that had a time period, well, this is going to end soon, they held on the longest. You and I have to know that whatever season we're in, it, it, it didn't, you know, it's going to pass. It's not going to be forever. It, we're not going to have to just do this forever. <laughs> Everything we endure has an end. Mark 10, 22, Matthew 13, 13, Matthew 24, 13, all say, he who endures to the end will be saved. And the implication of those three verses is there is an end. Everything we endure in this life will come to an end. The point I want you to grab onto is God asks us to endure, but there's an ending to what we endure. So he knows he's given us the grace and he's given us the the grit and he's given us the tools and even the people around us to hang in there and not to let go. Because there's an end to what he asks us to endure. If God says, do this for all eternity, man, I don't know, that's demoralizing to any of us. (laughs) That's why marriage ends in heaven. Kim, you won't have to to put up with me in eternity. Thank God there's an end. I can hold on. It's good for us to remember that everything we deal with in this life, trials, suffering, hardships, all have an ending point, and we can endure them if we tap into God's amazing grace and let him be our grit. Number four, the last thing that the Bible tells us about endurance is this. It tells us there's a purpose to what God asks us to endure. So not only does it come to an end, but there's a purpose to it. How many like to do things that have no purpose? You know, the reason I don't play those stupid games that people have on their phones is because they are pointless. You know, I see some of them and I'm like, I ain't doing that. 
you know, stop the thing or plug the hole or I'll go play guitar. I'm going to do something that has a purpose. You know, and we've got to know that there's a purpose to what we're enduring. What we endure for the kingdom of God is never for naught. It's never, you know, it's not God just up there making us jump through hoops because he can. You know, some people have that picture of God. He, well, he puts these rules on us and he gives us these desires, but then he tells us we can't. And he's just this mean guy up there. He's just kind of using us for his entertainment and, 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 and he makes us do things just because he can. I want to tell you, that's not God. God doesn't make us just do things because he can't. He doesn't, Jesus never asked us to do anything he wasn't willing to do and had already done himself. Suffer, Jesus suffered. Be humiliated, Jesus was. Be betrayed, Jesus was. On and on it goes. He did everything that he asked us to do. In the military, you know, you hear soldiers tell stories that in boot camp they had to dig a big hole, and when they were done, the drill sergeant would say, now fill it back up. Some of you never dug a hole because you didn't even flinch. I mean, all that digging, all that sweat, and all that rocks and pick and pull this out and, and filth and sweat, and all of a sudden, and the purpose was just to fill the hole back up? Now, they used to do things in, in the military like that to break people, to literally mentally break them, so that regardless of what the order was, they just did it, whether they could understand it or it had a meaning or anything, they just listened. But listen, God doesn't tell us to do things like that. He doesn't just tell us to do things that don't matter or have no point or have no eternal impact. Everything we do for the kingdom of God has a purpose. It has an eternal purpose. What you're dealing with right now, what you're going through right now, what you're suffering with right now, the, the, the affliction, the sickness, the trials, the difficult people, they are all producing something in us eternal. So the things we endure for Jesus will bring us eternal rewards. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This statement is trustworthy. For if we died with him, he will also, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look what it says. If we endure with him... We all want the grace. We all want the resurrection power. We all want the forgiveness of sin. But there's also suffering to embrace. And there is also an endurance to embrace in, in, in the things of the kingdom of God. And if we're willing to endure, we're going to reign with Jesus. That means so much to me, amen, because everything that I deal with, everything you deal with, it has a purpose, and it comes with an eternal reward. And when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, so, some of us are going to reign with him, amen. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> now, we don't serve him because, you know, I want to be in charge of North America, God. No. That's up to him. <laughs> so, verse 14 uh, really is like a spiritual guarantee for us here. And it says, uh, you know, talking about the gospel that has to be preached. So, you know, there's a little shift of gear here. It says the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached. Say shall. Shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, you know, there's a sign of the times that the gospel is being preached. Let's take a look at this. 
Verse 14 is really a divine guarantee, something we can bank on. No matter how dysfunctional, rebellious, or sinful this world becomes, the gospel is going to be preached to the world. He didn't say it might be, it might, you know, maybe. He said it shall be. It's, it's actually, you know, it's almost, in, in God's mind, it's completed already. It's a done deal. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So let's just recap a little bit. We've talked about the gospel many times. I've given you, you know, simplistic definitions of it. He says the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, we're talking about kingdom parables. We're talking about the return of Jesus to establish his earthly kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God is this kingdom that we, you know, we are part of. So he says this gospel of the kingdom, everything Jesus spoke of was kingdom oriented. Kingdom parables, kingdom principles, the signs of the return of the king. So let's look at this. What's the gospel? Here's a recap. The gospel of Jesus Christ was preached by the apostles since the beginning of the New Testament church. The gospel is the good news. Amen? It's good news that God made a way that you and I can be saved from our sin. Amen? And we can inherit the free gift of eternal life. That's good news. So, you know, I know sometimes you're giving the good news to people and they're acting like you, you know, they're acting like you're selling Amway. I don't want what you're selling. You know, I don't want that. You know, like you're trying to sell them insurance. I'm trying to tell you, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can be delivered. You, you can go to heaven when you die. Born again, Christians, you Christians. So the gospel is the good news. The gospel is simple. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He was put in a tomb and he rose again on the third day. He died for our sins. He paid the cost for our sins with his own blood. And when he rose, he broke the power of sin and the dominion of sin over mankind. Amen. That's good news today. And if we believe on him that he died and he rose, we can receive him as our personal Lord and Savior and receive the free gift of eternal life. The gospel is simple. All of us can understand it, and all of us can communicate it. God didn't make it complex. He made it simple. So what's the kingdom of God? Now, he said the gospel of the kingdom. So we've defined the gospel. Here's what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the king, and he has the name which is above every name. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son to execute the will of the Father and the Son. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are servants of the kingdom. We are saints and soldiers of the kingdom of God, you and I. Amen. That is exciting, amen. Angels are the ministering spirits of the kingdom. His kingdom is eternal, it's spiritual, and it's heavenly. The kingdom has an earthly expression, and that is known as the church of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is at odds and at war with in every way, diametrically opposed to the kingdom of darkness, who resists the kingdom of God. So what's the guarantee? We know what the gospel is. We know what the kingdom is. What's the guarantee of verse 14? The guarantee is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Now, note, the end will not come until the world has heard the gospel. Did you hear that? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and the end will come. 
So for lazy Christians who are not being part of the harvest and not doing their part, you're slowing us all down. It's time to get to work, amen. And with all, listen, with all the tools that we have and all the technology we have, you know, before you literally had to send people into these places and, you know, these godforsaken places with languages. Now we have, you know, the translators and Wycliffe, and you've heard some of the missionaries that have come here translating apps. And, and you know, we're, we're getting the gospel in people's languages. We're getting the gospel in the, in the corners of the earth, in the jungles, in the deserts, everywhere. But we still need those who will be part of the harvest and part of the, the, you know, part of the church and to do the work of preaching the gospel. And so the end won't come until it's preached. And this is a sign uh, that indicates his coming when we see the gospel going to the corners of the earth. Has the word, has this world heard the gospel message? Has everyone gotten a chance to hear it? Has everyone been presented with a chance to believe it or to reject it? it? Only God can say when that's happened. But to all of us, I say, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do our part. Let's endure. Let's be good soldiers. Let's love God and love the lost enough to do our part to bring the gospel to everyone we can touch. Amen. He who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for Jesus' words here chronicled in Matthew that they give us so much insight, so much encouragement, so much clarity on how we should conduct ourselves and how we, we should keep ourselves committed to you, in love with you, enduring whatever it takes to please you, enduring the hardships and the suffering that Jesus endured so that we could reign with him. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice, and I pray for myself, Lord God, that you would give us a heart to accept these things and, and to busy ourselves, Lord. We've seen so many come in and, and leave and, and, and say, no, I'm not willing to endure. But, Father, even those that have walked away, if they still draw breath, it's not too late for them. So, God, we pray for them that they would come back and put their hand to the plow and never turn back again. Father, we call the harvest in. We call the harvest in in this, in this area that we live in, Lord God, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Bring in the harvest, Lord, and help us to endure together until you come for a church without spot or wrinkle. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.